The Coram Deo Church Community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you're about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. This morning's scripture reading is Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who has seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, happy Easter, Cormdale. There's a lot of you guys out there. Uh, I see you guys downstairs, too. Actually, I don't see you, but it feels like I do, doesn't it? Uh, this building is packed right now, really full, kids' ministry, and I'm really glad you're here. Uh, thanks for being here. The bad news is the people who were here at 8 o'clock already beat you guys to brunch, so it's going to be a long wait when you get there. Um, but I'm glad you chose to come to this service. My name's Bob, and I'm one of the pastors here. And um, I, it's spoiler alert, Jesus rose from the dead. That's where the sermon's going this morning. So that's what we're going to talk about. Um, actually, though, here's, here's my task this morning. If you are a uh, Christian here, I want to help you rejoice in the resurrection of Jesus. If you're a skeptic, I want to help you understand the resurrection of Jesus. And if you're a non-Christian, I want to help you believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And in order to accomplish that task this morning, I've chosen to take as my text for the sermon this morning, this, this text in Revelation chapter 21, which is on the last page of your Bible, so it should be really easy to find, verses 1 through 5, and especially that, that statement in verse 5, where the Lord Jesus Christ says, behold, I am making all things new. I want to ask, what does the resurrection of Jesus have to do with that? If you've been around for a few decades, you may remember uh, the old Stephen Covey book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It was a business book back in the 90s when we had like dial-up internet and other things like that. Um, but in that book, there's a really helpful principle. One of the habits of effective people, he says, is to begin with the end in mind. If you want to accomplish something, you need to start with a clear sense of what the end is, where, the, where you're headed. Well, Revelation 21 is giving us the end that God has in mind for the world. It's telling us what God is up to. It's showing us the direction that history is moving. And so it's important for us to understand the resurrection, that we understand the end to which this is all 
going. And that's my reason for taking us to this text this morning. The resurrection of Jesus is not some isolated historical event. It's not some freestanding miracle. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is a new beginning. It's a new beginning that's moving us toward the end for which God created the world. The resurrection of Jesus is a new beginning. And so I want to talk about three things this morning. Why we need a new beginning, why we fear a new beginning, and how Jesus gives us a new beginning. That's where we're headed. Why we need a new beginning, why we fear a new beginning, and how Jesus gives us a new beginning. So let's begin with asking the question, why we need a new beginning. Every one of us who cares about human beings and who cares about the flourishing of society is asking the question, what's wrong with the world and how do we fix it? That's a basic question that all sectors of society are asking and that anyone who has a vision for what we ought to be has an answer to that question. What's wrong with the world? Perhaps you've been paying attention in recent weeks to some of the uh, dialogue that's going on around wokeness in our culture. Three weeks ago on March 15th, a conservative writer named Bethany Mandel was doing a television interview for a book that she's written, and she was asked by the interviewer to define the term woke, since so many people are using that. And she sort of had one of those moments where she hadn't expected that question, and she froze. The words didn't come. She kind of stuttered a little bit. And so, of course, that moment went viral, and the internet melted down over the question, can we define woke? What is that? Even Ross Douthat in the New York Times three weeks ago on the 19th of March, his Sunday column was called, What Does It Mean to Be Woke? Now, I realize there are a lot of answers to that question, and that word has taken on a whole trajectory over the past few years. But in its original and sort of most basic understanding and most innocuous understanding, to be woke is to be awake to the reality of structural injustice. The reality that when human beings create systems and structures, they can perpetuate a kind of injustice as they go on through history. And I want you to realize that that basic critique is actually a biblical critique. The prophets of Israel were talking about this long before the Marxists got a hold of it. Consider this from the prophet Isaiah. He writes, Woe to those who acquit the guilty for a bribe and who deprive the innocent of his right. What is that? Well, it's a critique of a corrupt legal system, right? It's a critique of a system that exists for innocent people to be given their rights, but has been corrupted through bribery and extortion. Now, the anti-woke aspect of our society says, hey, that might be nice, but the problem is the cure is worse than the disease. So if the answer to structural injustice is to defund the police, and to trans all the schools, and to shut down free speech, then, then we're just headed for a different kind of dysfunction. And again, that too is a biblical critique. The prophet Amos in the Old Testament says, hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gates. It's impossible to establish justice if we lack clarity on good and evil. Now, why do I bring this up? Why do I risk ruining your Easter lunch by talking about wokeness in church, right? I just simply want to make this point. Both woke elements in our society and anti-woke elements in our society are observing there's something wrong with our society. There's something wrong with the world. Something is broken and we need to fix it. 
And both of those groups tend to think the other group is the problem. But here's the question. What if the problem is deeper than either side realizes? What if the problem is even deeper than either side's proposed answers? That's actually the Bible's perspective on the problem. And we actually see it reflected right here in Revelation 21. Look with me at Revelation 21, verse 1, and catch this statement. The text says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. What's up with that? No beaches in the new heavens and new earth, no surfing, no swimming. Maybe Omaha is closer to the new heavens and new earth than any of us realize. <laughs> Actually, here's what's going on here. The sea is symbolic language in the Bible that speaks of chaos, the uncertainty and unpredictability of evil in the world. In the prophet Daniel in the Old Testament, Daniel sees a vision of four beasts coming up out of the sea. And then a few verses later, the text tells us these four beasts are actually four kings who will arise in the earth. And it turns out they're the kings of Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. Four actual, real earthly kingdoms that oppressed the people of God. Daniel sees these symbolically coming up out of the sea because he's recognizing God is showing him these four kingdoms because they're earthly kingdoms are corrupt. They're full of the chaos and the uncertainty of evil. They're expressions and manifestations of the depth of evil and chaos in the world. And so when Revelation 21 tells us there's no longer any sea in the new heavens and new earth, it's telling us finally the problem of the intractability and unpredictability of evil is solved. Finally, evil in all of its depth is no more. That's why we need a new beginning. We need a new beginning because the problem in the world and the problem is, uh, in us is deeper than any of us realizes. It's deeper than any policy or any structure or any system can fix or repair. We need nothing less than a new beginning. If that's why we need a new beginning, why do we fear a new beginning? You might think that's an odd question, but here's what I've realized Though we might resonate with the idea of a new heavens and new earth, where evil is no more, though we might think well, that sounds like a positive vision of the future, when that becomes individual, when it comes down to what does that mean for me and what is Jesus Christ asking me to do, I think suddenly we fear a new beginning. We're not sure that we actually want whatever it is Jesus has to offer. Let me tell you a story that I think illustrates why that is. 13 years ago, the former Highland Country Club at 132nd and Pacific Street went up for auction. That institution has a fascinating history in our city. If you dial back the clock about 100 years, most of the country clubs in Omaha did not allow Jewish people to be members. There was still a deep strain of anti-Semitism in American culture. And so Highland Country Club was founded as a Jewish country club a place where Jewish people could belong and find a sense of community and solidarity. To this day, there's a reason why the Jewish Community Center and two of the three synagogues in our city are right along 132nd and Pacific because that's been a center of Jewish life in our city for centuries. 
Well, as the other clubs in our city became more inclusive, the membership at Highland began to dwindle, and eventually the club went bankrupt, and so the entire 150 acres was sold to a developer. And it became what is now Sterling Ridge, where Jetlinks and LinkedIn is, and uh, maybe some restaurants that you like to eat at, and someone's business who I met after the 8 o'clock service. So lots of things over there now um, that's been newly developed in the last 13 years. But after that property was sold, I drove by one day, and I witnessed something I found really sad. The developer who purchased that property hired a demolition crew to come and uproot every single existing tree on the entire 150 acres. Remember, this had been a golf course. So we're talking about huge, massive oaks and cottonwoods that had been growing along these fairways for almost a century. All of them were uprooted and torn into a pile and burned. The developer cleared the entire plot of ground and started from scratch. And I think that's why we fear a new beginning. Because we fear that Jesus Christ wants to do something like that to our personhood. We hear Jesus talk about making everything new. And at one level, that sounds good. But when you think about what that means for us, we imagine that for Jesus to make us new, it means we're going to lose our individuality. We're going to lose our uniqueness. We're going to lose our very sense of self. When we hear Jesus promise a new beginning, we imagine maybe what he means is uprooting everything that exists and starting over. And that sounds not as inviting, but rather scary and even dangerous. That's why I think we fear a new beginning. Though what Jesus promises sounds interesting, it also sounds disorienting. Well, I want to show you that that fear is wiped away when we understand how Jesus gives us a new beginning. How Jesus is making all things new and what the resurrection shows us about that. So how does Jesus give us a new beginning? I want to start uh, on Easter Sunday and then end in Revelation 21 at New Heavens and New Earth, all right? So that's the trajectory we're going to go on. But I want to ask you to start just by thinking about what happened on the first Easter Sunday. What happened on the first Easter Sunday is this, that the, the very body that Jesus died in on Good Friday was resurrected and he walked out of the tomb inhabiting that same body. The women who came to the tomb and the disciples who knew him recognized him as Jesus. Why? Because there was a bodily continuity with who he was before. He had the same physical characteristics. He looked the same. They recognized him as Jesus because he was resurrected in the same body. There was continuity with who he was before. And at the same time, there was also discontinuity. His resurrection body was no longer earthly, and corruptible, but eternal and incorruptible. There was something new about who Jesus was after his resurrection, although that something new was continuous and recognizable with who he was before. That's how Jesus gives us a new beginning. When Jesus talks about making all things new, he's not talking about uprooting everything that is and starting over. He's talking about taking what is and making it renewed, transformed, and changed. Let me give you another picture, another illustration of what this looks like that's just 
connects to our real lives. And the room you're sitting in right now, the building you're sitting in, when we first bought it, we wanted to renew this place. We wanted to make it new. We wanted to refresh it. And so we sat down with a team from Boyd Jones and Leo A. Daly, and we began to envision what would it mean to make this space new? Here's what this room looked like at the time. Uh, this is 2018. Pretty great, but also a little bit 1990s. You'll notice the huge brass light pendants and the red carpet and the golden oak. Uh, it's, it's a little bit 1990s. We liked it, but we, want, we wanted to refresh it and renew it. And so we started asking, what would it mean to renew this space? Someone from the design team found a photo in the archives of what this room looked like in 1966. Here's that photo. You notice the slat wall that draws your eyes upward, the simple ceilings, the very simple aesthetic. We started asking, what if we renewed this space back to its original sort of design? What if we took this as a cue and tried to renew it in a way that's in keeping with how it was originally designed? And so that's what we sought to do. And so the room you're sitting in right now, or at least most of you, seems recognizable. You see the recognizable similarity to that vision of what it was. Likewise, when Jesus offers us a new beginning, when Jesus says he's making all things new, what he's doing is renewing us according to the original design that God intended. And that's what we see in Revelation 21. Look with me at the text together and let's get a sense of the newness Jesus is bringing. Notice the text says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So two things here. Notice the word new. It's clear that we're talking about something new, something fresh, something that's been renewed. But notice also, what's new is the heavens and the earth. This is a hyperlink back to the very first verse of the Bible. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created what? The heavens and the earth. This text is talking about the same material creation, the same world that God created in the beginning is the very world Jesus has now renewed and made new. Verse two, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So notice, in the end, we don't go up to heaven. Heaven comes down to earth, a new city. Just like in the resurrection, a new world is breaking in to the old world. Verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. What makes this new world wonderful is God's going to dwell with his people. It's his presence. It's his goodness. It's his beauty that makes this a beautiful place to be. Verse four, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Notice how the former things in this verse refers to death, crying, pain. Those things have been left behind. And what exists is a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Verse five, and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And that work began the morning that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The resurrection is a new beginning. 
It's the beginning of a new heavens and new earth. It's the dawn of a new creation. It's the beginning of a new era, a new age, a new season of renewal. It's the dawn of a new future. And listen, friends, you can get in on this. You can get in on this renewal. What Jesus is doing is he's bringing forth a new humanity out of the old humanity. He's bringing forth a new you out of the old you. Not in a way that's discontinuous with who you are, but in a way that makes you the best version of who God intended you to be. That's what Christ is up to. And you can get in on this new beginning. You can get in on this newness that Jesus Christ is bringing about through his resurrection and in the work he's doing until the new heavens and the new earth. How do we get in on this? What does it look like for this to be made real in our lives? Well, notice verse 3 of Revelation 21. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Notice this is the language of relationship. His people, their God. This language implies there's a relationship, there's a fellowship, there's a communion between God and his people. He knows these are his people. They know this is their God. This is the moment they've waited for and longed for because he is their greatest treasure and hope. This is relational language through and through. Friends, the good news is how you get in on this is through union with the one who is making all things new. Through fellowship, through connection, through communion with the one who's making all things new. How do you get in on Jesus' work of making all things new? Well, you just acknowledge that you need to be made new. And you ask him and trust him to make you new. You bring the old you to Jesus and you ask him to make you new. You bring the old version of yourself to Jesus and you welcome his work of renewing you, making you the person he intended for you to be. He's made this possible through his death for sin, through his resurrection, through the sending of his spirit, Jesus is making all things new and he promises every person who wants to get in on it a new beginning. All we have to do is trade our existing life, the old version of ourselves, and trust Jesus to make us new. Friends, that new beginning can happen for you even this morning. This is what Jesus has been doing since the moment he rose from the dead. Since the moment he got up out of the grave, you know what he's been doing? Making all things new takes kind of a long time. There's a lot to be made new. There's a lot of people in the world to be made new. And guess what? The reason we're still here hoping for this new heavens and new earth is because Jesus is still at work making all things new, one human being at a time. And this morning, you're invited to be part of this, to get in on this new beginning. If you're here in this room, one of two things is likely. Either you've already been made new by Christ, you're one of his people and he is your God, and you know that and you're celebrating that this morning. Or you're not sure if this applies to you. You haven't experienced being made new in Jesus Christ. You're familiar with who his people are, but you're not sure if that applies to you. If you're in that first category this morning, is an opportunity to rejoice and remember what it means to be made new in Jesus and how that's happened in your life. And if you're in that second group of people, this morning is an opportunity for you to have a new beginning, to enter into new life, to get in on the renewing work that Jesus 
is accomplishing through his resurrection. Friends, let's allow him this morning to make us new and let's celebrate the work he's doing to make all things new. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the promise that you are making all things new. Thank you, Jesus, that you got up out of the grave physically, bodily, and really, and that that was the beginning of this work of making all things new. So we worship you in your resurrected glory. We thank you for making us new. We pray for those among us in this room this morning who have not yet been made new in fellowship with Jesus. And we ask, God, that you would move toward them in love and kindness to draw them into this work to bring them to faith in Christ. We acknowledge our fears and our uncertainties about what it would mean for us to be made new. And we ask you to give us the faith to entrust ourselves fully to you and let you do the work you want to do in us. We pray this for our good and for your glory. Amen.